Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, thanks for joining for another uh, Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Dan Wills, and uh, I am excited about talking to you guys today because if you were not here last week, we started a brand new series called What Would Jesus Undo? And we're talking about what are the things that break the heart of Jesus? What would he undo? And last week we talked about Jesus undoing spiritual indifference. And so if you were here, I opened up the message with kind of a story about a gift that I gave to a person and that person was indifferent towards the gift. And so today I want to open this message uh, uh, again with another gift giving mishap. And it was when I was a lot younger, I was 13, 14 years old, and, and it was around Christmas time, and I had asked for a new boombox. And, and for you younger people, that's uh, it was kind of the craze back then. It was just a square piece of electronic equipment that had two big giant speakers on it. In the middle of it was a cassette player and, and a radio player, and, and we just walked around with them and, and played with them and, and listened to our music. And that's what was just kind of in so as it's getting closer to Christmas, my brothers and I are stooping for our Christmas presents. You know, we're looking around everywhere, all over for them. And eventually we come to the attic of our house. And so we go grab a ladder and, and open up the hatch of the attic. And, and lo and behold, sitting right there is a brand new boombox. I am ecstatic. I, I am screaming, you know, yes, you know, and, and so... We, we see it, and, and so we close up the attic, and we put the ladder away, and, and we pretend nothing happened. But for the next two to three weeks, uh, it felt like it was a year for me, because I was just dreaming of what I was going to play on my new boombox, and how I was going to carry it around everywhere, and tell all my friends, and, and just have fun with this. Well, Christmas finally comes, and, and we go out to the tree, and we begin opening presents. And I get to my last present, you know, because I haven't seen this this boombox yet. And so here's this last one. It's a box right about the size of the boombox, and and it's wrapped and it looks pretty. And and so it's my turn, and I and I start unwrapping this present. I rip off the paper and and I open the box, and there's nothing in it. Nothing. It was empty. I was devastated. I looked at my mom and dad, and, and my mom says this. I can remember this vividly. Maybe you shouldn't look for your gifts anymore. You know, and, and she held off for the, almost, the, almost the full day of actually giving me that gift. So it brings to the question, what if the songs that we sing, the sermons that we preach, and the acts of service that we do are often empty gifts to our God? What if our lives are wrapped up with the spiritual image on the outside, but sometimes on the inside, because our hearts are far from God, we're actually offering to our God an empty gift? What would Jesus undo? I believe Jesus would undo what I call hollow worship, or empty worship, or, or what Jesus calls worship in vain. What turns the heart of God? What is it that upsets Jesus? And that is hollow worship. 
I want to show you this in, in Matthew's gospel today, and it comes from Matthew 15, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do, you, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Yeah, he asked that question. Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? Well, what we have to understand is the Pharisees were obsessed with something called ceremonial cleanliness. And this is not the same thing as physical hygiene. It's not physical cleanliness. They are obsessed with ceremonial cleanliness. Why? Because a devout Jew believed that there were two categories for everything. Everything is either clean or it's unclean. There are clean animals and there are unclean animals. There's clean ways to prepare your food and, and clean ways and unclean ways. There are things to touch that are clean. There are things that are unclean. If you have any type of bodily discharge, you're unclean. If you have a skin problem, you're unclean. If you touch a pig, you're unclean. If you touch a dead body, you're unclean. Why they went around touching dead bodies, I'm not sure, but that's that's what it's, that's what they believe. And so as the and the problem is when you were unclean is is that uncleanliness was contagious. It was transferable. It was kind of like growing up in, you know, first through fifth grade or whatever it was for you. It, it, it's, it's the kind of scenario of you got cooties and then you give cooties. You know what I'm talking about? If, if you were unclean, you could transfer it. So if an unclean mouse touched a cup, the cup was unclean. And if you touched the cup, you were unclean. And then if your spouse touched you, your spouse was unclean. Therefore, you are not fit for worship. So, what did you have to do? When you were unclean, you had to go through an elaborate ceremony to cleanse yourself spiritually. So, you were eligible to worship God. And what you had to do was take a certain amount of water known as a quarter of a log. Well, how much water is a quarter of a log, you might ask? Well, a quarter of a log is enough of water to fit into an eggshell and a half. That's a true story. I'm not making this up. An eggshell and a half full of water. Then someone would pour the clean water over your unclean hands, thus cleansing your hands. But but when the clean water touched your unclean hands, then the water became unclean. And so you had to hold your hands sideways so they could pour the water over it so the water would just run by. And then you'd rub your hands together and you would be ceremonial clean. So you could worship God. A devout Jew would not only do this before their meals, but they would literally do this ritual between courses. In other words, you would cleanse yourself before your hamburger, then you before your tater tots, and then before your chocolate milk. Okay, And the Pharisees were, were asking Jesus, why don't your boys do this? And, and Jesus unleashes on them. I mean, he gets upset. He says, you're not even treating people with respect. You're not even showing love to other people. Your hearts aren't even connected with God. And, and here you are obsessing about all these externals when internally you are so far from, from being right. This is what Jesus says. We're still in Matthew chapter 15, but let's jump to verse 7 on this one. It starts out by saying, you hypocrites. Okay, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And then verse 8 says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Verse 9 says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. 
Their worship isn't pleasing to me. On the outside, it looks like worship, but because the inside is not right, it's simply an empty gift. It's hollow worship. It's worship that doesn't touch my heart. It's worship that is in vain. What would Jesus undo? He would undo a show on the outside, a hypocritical expression, a pretend faith, a hey everybody, you know I'm kind of a Christian, when inside your heart is very, very, very far from truly worshiping God. I would say to you that as as a church in, in a whole, we have a lot of potential to grow in our, our heartfelt expression of, of worship to God. Okay, In fact, to me, this is one of the greatest areas of potential spiritual growth that, that all of us have. Um, you, me, all of us who are listening together. And so I want to talk for a few moments about worship. When, when we talk about worship, what most people immediately do is they think about music. They think about the style of the music. And, and I like this style of worship, and I don't like that style of worship. Or they may think about the environment. In other words, perhaps they think, well, worship should be done in a very reverent and very holy environment. Where someone else should, should go on or maybe go on and say, oh, no, 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 it needs to be rowdy. It, it needs to be fun. We serve a joyful God and we should express to him with great passion. Which one is right? Some of you listening right now, you've, you've maybe worshipped somewhere else, right? Maybe at a small country church or, or maybe overseas where the style was, was very different. Maybe at a traditional format, maybe in a, a charismatic format. So if I asked you, all you listeners, uh, if you've ever been to a place where the worship expression was in a different style, how many of you could say, yeah? You know, well, I grew up in a very, very different style. When, when you think about it, with all the different people all over the world, the different races, the different life situations, the different styles of cultural music, the creative ways to express worship of, uh, of the goodness of our God, they're almost limitless all over the world, right? And so I grew up in a traditional Catholic church, and, and I don't know if you've been to a, a Catholic church, okay? Um, you, can, you can just kind of imagine. It has pews. You know, we would stand up and then sit down, and then we'd stand up and sit down, and then stand up and sit down, and, and for good measure, we threw in a couple of kneelings. And, and then we would sing not songs with words on a screen, but we would sing songs of a hymnal, Okay. And it's a book with hymns in it, in case you really don't know what it is. I'm not being sarcastic here. And it's a little book that has a songs in it, and it has numbers by it, okay? And we would always sing verses 1, 2, and 4. I have no idea what was wrong with verse 3, but in my church at that time, we never ever sang verse 3. I don't know why. And I know still some churches don't do that either. And this is how I was accustomed to and, and comfortable worshiping the God that I thought I knew. And I was out of school and a friend invited me to his church and, and oh my goodness, it was nothing like my Catholic church, okay? The moment I walked in, I knew something was different when I didn't see the, the stations of the cross all across the walls, okay? There were not pews, but there were seats, right? There was not an organ, but there was a band. And when the music started, people just, just didn't stand up and sing. They stood up and sung out loud. And a lot of them raised up their hands. And, and I was going, like, what's the matter with them, right? I was, like, pointing to people going, hey, go get him. Go give him some help. He's got a question for somebody. Someone answer that guy's question, you know. 
I'd never seen this before. And so we could talk about liturgy, we could talk about a cappella, we could talk about high church, we could talk about charismatic church, we could we could talk about 15 minutes of worship or two hours of worship in some countries, okay? And we have to acknowledge that there are limitless ways of expressing our love and worship for God around the world. So, with so many different ways, which way is the best? Let's just take two of the examples I have. Let's take a very traditional and let's take a very expressive and charismatic example, okay? Which one is right before God? The answer is both are right before God. Or neither are right before God if the heart is not right. Any expression of worship honors God when our heart is connected to who he is, but, but no form of expression or worship is right when our heart is not right. He says, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Therefore, they worship me in vain. What we have to understand is that true worship that touches the heart of God is, is not about the style of music, but it's a reflection of the condition of the heart. True worship that touches God is not a reflection of the style of music. It's a reflection of a heart right before God. Think about this way, okay? This would, this would never happen, I promise you. But if my children came to me on Father's Day and said, Hey, Dad, we've prepared a song to express our adoration and worship for you. Imagine them standing there, okay? Completely a cappella, singing a song to me from their hearts. And I stop them and go, No, 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 children, okay? You don't understand. That's not the style I prefer, when you tell me how great I am and how much you love me, I prefer a praise band with, with fog lights and, and one, of, one of you needs to wear tight jeans and put some spiky stuff in your hair. One of you has to be the worship leader. If I don't see the worship leader, then it's not right. My advice is never do that. At the same time, imagine if they came before me banging pots and pans, you know, bang, 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 bang. Hey, Dad, you're the greatest. And I go, no, 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 no. Your father prefers the more serene environment where you read some liturgy first because liturgy is what turns my heart towards you. You know, express it in such a way that brings me real honor, the way I prefer. Okay, listen, they can do whatever they want when it's from the heart because true worship that pleases God isn't about the style of music. It's about the condition of the heart. What would Jesus undo? He would undo hollow worship. We have to understand that Christianity is not a hobby for us. It's not an interest. It's not a label. If we're a follower of Jesus, Christ is our life. Therefore, worship isn't just songs we sing, but worship is the life that we live. And in fact, what I want to do is I want to give you a moment Okay, whether you're driving or just sitting at home, to get your hearts prepared to think about God, who God is, okay? And visualize what he did for you. You know, if you're at home, close your eyes. Do not do that while driving, though, okay? I suggest you don't do that. But just kind of visualize, all right? All right? Through his son, the sinless and perfect son of God, who was obedient, even to death on the cross, who suffered, bled, and died, so that our sins could be forgiven, Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And at this moment, he makes intercession for you. 
In other words, he's praying for you right now. He didn't leave you alone. You'll never be alone. I'll never leave you nor forsake you is what he said. He sent the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead to dwell within those of you who are followers of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is here with you and in you. Now, in view of who God is and what he's done, when your heart is right before him, sometimes you just have to creatively express your worship, okay? Your love, your praise for our God. You give him honor because he's the only one who's worthy. How do we do that? Well, it's my opinion that we as a a church body, we have some room to grow, right? We've got potential to better express our love and adoration for the creator and for our savior. So let me give you some ways that we can grow in our worship to answer the question, how do we express our worship to God? When our hearts are right before him, this is what we need to do. Sometimes we just bow in reverence. We bow before him. The psalmist said, come, let us bow down and worship and kneel before the Lord, our maker. Every now and then we just get overwhelmed with who he is and what he's done. And you just fall to your knees. You can't even stand in his presence like Peter who fell in repentance, like the wise man who who knelt down, bringing gifts and worshiping the son of God. You can't even stand. And so you just fall down and you kneel in an act of submission and worship because of who God is. And the good news is, you can choose to do that now, or you will do it later. Because I believe Paul told the Philippian church that one day, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is the Christ and the Lord of all. In view of who God is and what he's done, sometimes we bow in reverence, okay? The second thing is sometimes we lift our hands, okay, in adoration to our God. This isn't a weird thing. It's not a charismatic thing. This is a Bible thing. Paul said in the New Testament, lift up holy hands to God. David said this in the wilderness, I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Sometimes you're overwhelmed and you just praise him. You know, what do lifted hands symbolize in our world, in our culture today? They symbolize two things, okay? One, whenever you're in a difficult place, you lift your hands to surrender. You know, I give up. Sometimes we lift our hands and surrender to God. Not my will, but your will be done. So we lift our hands and surrender. The second one is we also lift our hands and our culture is we lift them in a moment of victory. You know, our team won. We won. We celebrate the victory, right? The amazing thing is when you come before our God and you lift up holy hands, you get the same result at the same moment. At the moment you lift them up and surrender, you experience the victory that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We lift up holy hands to our God. So how do we worship him? Sometimes we just kneel before him in reverence. Sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. The third one is sometimes we just got to dance in celebration, right? Sometimes it just hits our whole body and we can't stop. In fact, scripture says, let them praise his name with dancing. Most of you, you've danced at some point. You've danced when you got your new phone or your new shoes or or whatever. You danced when he gave you the ring, right, ladies? Okay, you went, woohoo, he gave me the ring, right? You danced when your team won, right? Yeah, so, you know, raise our hands in victory and we dance around. Guys, you, I'm sure you chest-butted total strangers before. You know what I'm talking about. 
Or you're high-fiving people you don't even know. Just high-five, high-five, high-five. Hey, who is that? Have no idea. You're dancing in celebration. Every now and then, you just see the goodness of God and you can't contain it. David said that God turned my weeping into dancing. He turned my mourning into a moment of celebration. I don't know who it is that's listening right now, okay? But I know there's someone here listening. You've been forgiven of so much by the grace of Jesus. He's turned your sin into a moment of praise. He's turned the lowest point of your moment in life into a moment where you sense his goodness. Sometimes you just have to let go and you celebrate him in dancing. Sometimes we bow in reverence. Sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. Sometimes we dance in celebration. The fourth thing is sometimes we offer a sacrifice of praise. The writers of Hebrews said, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually, all the time, everywhere, in all circumstances, continually offer to our God a sacrifice of praise. In other words, we worship him when we feel him, and and we worship him when we don't. We worship him when we feel and see the blessings all around, and, and we worship him when we're hurting. We choose, even when we don't feel anything, to worship him with a sacrifice of praise. We sacrifice, we choose to worship him. Because our worship is not based on our circumstances, our worship is based on his character. Sometimes we worship him with a sacrifice of praise. The fifth one, daily, every single day, we lay down our lives as an act of worship. Worship isn't just something that we do. A worshiper is who we are because of who God is. The way that we live becomes an act of worship. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. You ready? It's Romans 12.1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is that? He says that this is your true and proper worship, right? In view of who God is, in view of what he's done for you, your only responsible response is to offer a living sacrifice. Every day, I worship you. I worship you in the way that I live, in a job that I love. I worship you in a job that I don't love. I worship you when I'm healthy. I worship you when I'm battling cancer. I worship you when I have plenty. I worship you when I'm in want. In the way that I live, everything that I do, may it be glory to God. Because worship isn't just the songs that I sing. Worship is the life that I live. Who will you worship? Who is our God? He is our rock. He is our redeemer. He is our righteousness. Our God is our deliverer. And he is our defense. He is our shield. He is our salvation. He is our strength. Who is God? He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the good shepherd. He is the true vine. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Who is Jesus? He is the light of the world. He is the lamb of God. He is the lion of Judah. My God is all powerful. He is ever present. He is all good through and through. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. Jesus is the soon returning, conquering king of kings. And he is Lord of lords. In view of who he is, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Because worship isn't just the songs that we sing. Worship is the life that we live. Amen.
Thanks again for joining us today. I'm looking forward to sharing with you what God has put on my heart as we continue to answer the question, what would Jesus undo? Talk to you next week. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres, please visit our website at www.chandleracreschurch.com.